All right, you'll have to forgive the, the black and white screen. If you turn around, it's actually a really nice beige color, but there's some uh, troubles with the projector. So it'll be black and white for us today. <clears throat> One of the most difficult things about studying the Old Testament is bridging the gap between the original audience and us today, the context that they lived in back then and the context that we live in today. And it can become very difficult because at times it feels that the world of the Old Testament is, is just a different world than what we live in. The meticulous instructions for the different sacrifices in the Old Testament law seem foreign to us because we don't worship in the tabernacle. Hopefully we don't worship by the slaughtering of animals. That's just not what we do today. So it seems a little bit odd and we find it difficult to apply the truth of some of those passages. You could say the same thing about the, the poetry and wisdom literature of the Old Testament. They use difficult phrases, figures of speech that we may not understand. And that's not to say that we can't apply those, those different passages of Scripture. We certainly can, but it just requires a little bit more careful and thoughtful study. Now, luckily for us, I think Daniel is very different. When we consider the book of Daniel, I don't think we have this problem. In fact, I find it quite easy to bridge the gap between Daniel's original readers and all of us Christians today. Daniel's original readers were Jewish people who were living in Babylonian captivity. They were exiles. And if you can think back to uh, several months ago when Dr. Miller was with us, we were in the book of 1 Peter. Do you remember what 1 Peter called us? Exiles, elect exiles. So just as Daniel was living in a nation that uh, opposed God, you and I are living in a world that as a whole opposes God and his people. Just as Daniel was not at home, you and I are not at home in this world. We are exiles. Our passage this afternoon, Daniel chapter 1, verses 8 through 21, it serves as an introduction to Daniel's ministry. And in this passage, we see how Daniel lived and represented his God while living as an exile. And we also get to see how God works through the faithfulness of his people. And from this passage, there is much that we can learn about how we as exiles today should live and represent God in the midst of a sinful culture. So open your Bibles with me, or you can read on the screen with us. And we're going to begin reading in Daniel chapter 1, verse 8, and we will read all the way down through verse 16. <clears throat> but Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine that he drank. Therefore, he asked the chief of the eunuchs to allow him not to defile himself. And God gave Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of the chief of the eunuchs. And the chief of the eunuchs said to Daniel, I fear my lord, the king, who assigned your food and your drink. For why should he see that you are in worse condition than the youths who are of your own age? So you would endanger my head with the king. Then Daniel said to the steward whom the chief of the eunuchs had assigned over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, test your servants for 10 days. Let us be given vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then let our appearance and the appearance of the youths who eat the king's food be observed by you and deal with your servants according to what you see. 
So he listened to them in this matter and tested them for 10 days. At the end of 10 days, it was seen that they were better in appearance and fatter in flesh than all the youths who ate the king's food. So the steward took away their food and the wine they were to drink and gave them vegetables. Last week, we saw that the nation of Judah had strayed into wickedness and idolatry, and this led them ultimately into exile. And Daniel and his friends now have been thrown into the heart of human wickedness. In Daniel's day, the the empire, the nation of Babylon, was the pinnacle of human wickedness and pride and idolatry. But despite this, Daniel trusted in his God. He trusted that God was sovereign even over the exile, even over this Babylonian captivity. And Daniel's trust in God provided him with peace and assurance in the midst of unimaginable hardship. And what we see today is in the midst of of that hardship, Daniel made faithfulness to God his number one priority. Verse 8 tells us that Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the king's food or with the wine that he drank. That first phrase literally means that Daniel set it upon his heart not to defile himself with the king's food. In Hebrew thought, the the heart was the seat of decision-making. So so Daniel has made a conscious choice, a, a choice that he refuses to defile himself by eating the king's food or drink. So this is Daniel's conviction. He is not going to fold. He's not going to crumble. He is going to remain faithful to his God. The word defile has sort of two dimensions to it. The word can be used to speak of ritual purity. And we see that throughout the Old Testament, especially in the books of the law. It has the purity laws that that regulated how and when God's people could enter into his presence. Now, being unclean was not always sinful, but being unclean kept you from entering into the presence of God. The word is also used to speak about moral impurity, We see the prophets use it this way occasionally when they're calling out the people of Israel and rebuking them for their sin. So Daniel is living in a a pagan culture, so it's going to be pretty much impossible for him to remain ritually pure and clean all the time. So it makes a lot more sense here if Daniel's speaking about moral defilement, moral impurity. That's what he has in mind here. So if that's the case, then why would the king's food be defiling? Why would it be sinful for Daniel to partake in this food? And there's there's a handful of plausible options, and I'll briefly summarize some of those. First, the food and the wine may have directly violated God's law. The Israelites were commanded that, that there were certain animals, certain meat that they were not allowed to eat because it was inherently unclean, and for them to eat it would be sinful. There was also commands that they were to drain the blood and prepare the meat properly, and to not do that would be sinful. So it may have been that Daniel was concerned that without any say, any knowledge of the food that was being served, prepared, that that it could have unintentionally caused him to sin. A second option is that the food may have been used in pagan rituals and sacrifices. In fact, that's probably very, very likely. 
But there's actually no Jewish laws in the Old Testament that prevent a Jewish person from eating food sacrificed to idols. We see that issue in the New Testament, but that actually doesn't arise in the Old Testament. But Daniel still may have seen it as, as indirect participation in idol worship. A third option is that sharing a meal was often seen as a commitment of friendship or loyalty. Daniel may have seen himself indulging in the king's food as, as an act of dependence on the king. And so by refusing, he was sort of asserting that I don't rely on the king, I rely on the Lord. And then a final option uh, is probably my, the, the one that I lean towards. Uh, so the word used here for food is actually a Persian loan word. It's not a Hebrew word, it's a Persian word. And it speaks of delicacies and, and rich and fine food. So it may be that Daniel thought it was sinful to indulge in the extravagance and the luxury and the decadence of Babylon. And by abstaining, he better maintained his Jewish identity. Now we can't say for sure. The text simply does not tell us explicitly why it was defiling for him to eat the king's food. But all of these are very plausible. Like I said, I, I think I lean towards the fourth one. But it could have been any one of these. It could have been a combination of some or all of these. Regardless of that specific reason, though, Daniel knew that to indulge in this food would be to sin. Even though Daniel finds himself in a place where, where no one would care. No one would care if he sinned. He's in a culture that would actually pressure him into forsaking God's law. But Daniel was resolute Nothing was going to change his mind. That's what it means when it says he resolved himself. There was nothing that was going to change his mind. His heart was set on being faithful to his God, regardless of any trouble that that might bring to him. And the same should be able to be said about you and I. We live in a sinful culture as well. Everywhere we look, our culture is, is tempting and enticing us to compromise our commitment to Christ our commitment to following the word of God. You go on social media, you watch TV for seven minutes and you see sinful behavior being glorified and thrown in our faces. But it doesn't stop just publicly when you're around people or when you're on social media, even on our own. We are still tempted by our own sinful desires. We live in a sinful culture, in a sin-cursed world whether we're on our own or in public, temptation to conform to the sinful ways of the world is going to find us. And that means that we, every single day, must make a choice. A choice whether we will obey the Lord or embrace the ways of the world. And if our desire is to live a life of holiness in a world that is rebellious toward God's, towards God, then Daniel provides a very helpful model for us. So the first thing that we see from Daniel, number one, if you're taking notes, we must resolve to be faithful. We must resolve ourselves to be faithful to the Lord. Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with sin. And this doesn't mean that, that we remove ourselves from the culture around us. That's not what Daniel did. He embraced the culture as far as he could without sinning. He was, did the same studying, the same learning as the other people in that education program. He learned all the Babylonian ways, but he didn't practice the ones that were sinful. 
You'll see in the, in the latter section of this text, Daniel was, was very well versed in Babylonian wisdom and teaching, but it never led him to stray into sin. Daniel embraced, he engaged the Babylonian culture, but he also knew where to draw the line, where to put his foot down. And he remained faithful in the midst of that sinful culture. And I think that Daniel demonstrates his resolve in two ways. The first way he does this is through his integrity. And most of us probably know what integrity means, but it's, it's closely related to honesty. When, when, you, when who you claim to be and how you actually live come together and, and match up, that's integrity. And integrity is, is an undivided commitment to doing what is right no matter what. You are going to do what is right. It would have been so much easier for Daniel to say, you know what? No. Where was God when I was ripped away from my family? Where was God when I was taken from my home? He didn't protect me. He clearly doesn't care enough about me to protect me. Why should I care about his law, about being faithful to him? He's either unconcerned or unaware of what I'm doing, so I might as well just live it up. Really, what motive is there for Daniel to maintain his integrity? Because if Daniel plays his cards right, man, he's going to have the life that everybody wants. He's been hooked up with the best education in the world. He's eating the finest food you can ask for. He's on track for a great job in the king's palace. If he just plays along, he will have all the pleasures and comforts that the world can offer. No one was going to care if Daniel didn't obey God. Daniel's mom wasn't going to show up and reprimand Danny for not being a good little Jewish boy. Daniel knew he could get away with embracing the sins of Babylon. But Daniel had integrity. And he maintained his integrity, not because others would see and applaud him for it, but because he understood that in every circumstance, good or bad, whether anyone is around to see it or not, God deserves our obedience. Daniel knew and trusted his God. He knew that the exile he was in, that was a part of God's sovereign plan and judgment on Judah. So even though this situation was not what Daniel would have wanted, God's word was still true. He's a thousand miles away from home, away from his family, away from the temple, nobody around to care what he does, no one to punish him. Yet he resolved not to defile himself. Brothers and sisters, our circumstances don't affect the truthfulness of God's word. It is true, and it demands our obedience when it's really, really easy to do and when it's a lot more difficult to do as well. Can you say that you have the same integrity that Daniel showed? Does your integrity remain intact when no one else is around to see it? Is that not the clearest test of our integrity? Do you act the part on, on Sunday and Wednesday only to indulge in your sinful habits on the days in between? Daniel refused to defile himself. He refused to indulge in the king's food. Now for us, it's probably not the king's food. But what sinful habits are you indulging in when no one else is around to see? Do you blow off time at work by scrolling social media or shopping on Amazon because you know your boss isn't actually going to come check on any of that and you can get away with it. It's not a big deal. 
Are you defiling yourself by looking at sexually explicit images on, on your phone or computer? Who's going to see once you delete the search history? Maybe it's not something that you do when you are alone, but maybe it's the way that you speak or act when you're with your non-Christian friends because, after all, your church family's not here. They're not going to know. Nobody's going to care. You're safe. You can lighten up a little bit and just, just live how the rest of the people live. You might think that your sin is hidden. You might think that nobody knows about your lack of integrity. You can deceive your spouse. You can deceive your pastor, your church family. You can deceive your parents. But I promise you, you will not deceive the Lord. He sees and he knows all things. God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. And brother or sister, if you are wrestling with hidden sin, I want to encourage you to bring that sin into the light. Confess that to the Lord. Ask forgiveness because he is faithful to forgive when we sin. And then find another brother or sister that you can share that burden with who can offer encouragement and accountability. Sin committed in secret will not remain hidden. But it does reveal a lack of integrity. And you cannot be faithful as God has called you to be faithful if you are harboring hidden sin. When we resolve ourselves to be faithful, it means that we insist on obeying the Lord even when no one is around to see or care. Even if we know we can get away with it, there won't be any consequences. Even then, we remain faithful. Daniel's resolve required integrity, but it also required courage. And that courage is demonstrated in, the way, in his request to Ashpenaz, the chief of the eunuchs. Daniel asks Ashpenaz for permission not to defile himself with the king's food. And this is courageous for a number of reasons. This could have been seen as a significant insult to the king. The king of Babylon, as you'll see in uh, later chapters, he was known to be a violent and ruthless man. Daniel's decision not to eat his food could have cost him his life. Certainly could have cost him any chance for advancement in the king's palace. It also invited mocking and mistreatment from his peers. Daniel faced extreme pressure to sin. He faced extreme threats and significant consequences. But Daniel makes this request anyways. And it's cool because we see that God is at work through this as well. God is helping Daniel by giving him favor and compassion in the sight of Ashpenaz. And this is the same language used by Daniel to describe God giving Judah into the hand of Babylon. Daniel, again, is shining the spotlight on the sovereignty of God in the midst of this entire situation. But God causes Ashpenaz to have this, this sympathy and this fondness for Daniel. This was not Daniel's doing. He didn't earn this, this fondness and this sympathy and this compassion. It was given to him by God. But even with that, that favor and that compassion, Ashpenaz still says no. He still doesn't grant Daniel's request because Ashpenaz fears the king of Babylon. That's how it worked in Babylon. All of the king's subjects, they feared the king above everything else. His word was law. He was not slow to execute whoever he felt like executing. You annoyed him and you could lose your life. And feeding these young men the food of the king and the, and the wine of the king, that was a direct order of the king. To answer Daniel's request would have been to 
defy the king openly. And if the chief official, if he had done that, and then it was found out that, the, that Daniel and his friends were worse off because of it, most likely it would have been that man's head on a platter. Actually, he'd probably be thrown in the furnace. You'll see later, that's more King Nebuchadnezzar's style. But you get the point. It would have cost him his life. So if you think about it from the chief official's perspective... How many of you would be willing to risk your life because four teenagers don't like the free food you're giving them? Probably not very many of us. And I know that's a simplification of what's going on, but that's probably how he viewed it. Ashpenaz feared the king, so he could not grant Daniel's request, regardless of the fondness that he had for Daniel. But Daniel doesn't fear the king of Babylon. Daniel fears his God. And he resolved to be faithful to his God. So Daniel doesn't roll over and accept that, well, I guess I got no choice. They're going to make me eat this food. Despite what's at risk, Daniel continues to push the issue. And he's not going to take no for an answer. Sinning is not an option for him. It is off of the table for Daniel. Even if refusing to do so will bring him great harm and consequence. So in verse 11, we get to see Daniel's wisdom on display as he proposes an alternative solution. He goes to Ashpenaz and, and his steward and he says, I have an idea. How about for, for 10 days? Just for 10 days, we're not going to eat the king's food. We're going to only eat vegetables and drink water. Then at the end of that 10 days, you can examine us, compare us to the rest of the young men, and then decide what you will do with us. And after this examination, that's exactly what they do. Ashpenaz and his steward, though, they, they change their minds here. They grant this request to Daniel. And I think probably because, one, they like Daniel. God gave them this favor for Daniel. But also, I don't know if you guys know a lot about dieting, but 10 days usually doesn't make too much of a dent. Like, nobody starts a diet and is like, I'm going to drop 100 pounds this week. It just, it doesn't work like that. So they're probably thinking, one way or the other, 10 days is a pretty safe bet for us. They probably expect that at the end of this 10 days, there won't really be any change. And then hopefully by then, these four teenagers uh, and their naivety, they'll, 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 just, they'll come around and they'll start eating the king's food and we can sweep this under the rug. But after 10 days pass and they examine the young men, the officials find that Daniel and his friends are, are better in appearance and fatter in flesh than those eating the king's food and wine. And this doesn't mean that they pudged out over these 10 days. Fatter in flesh is a Hebrew phrase for healthy. They were noticeably healthier and better in appearance than those who were eating the fine food of the king. And after seeing this, the officials decide, you know what? I don't know what this is doing, but you can go ahead and keep doing it because obviously it's working for you. So they take away the king's food and they serve them only vegetables and water. So Daniel is initially told that he must eat the king's food. And he makes a request, and then he's told, no, this is still the only option. You have to eat the food. But Daniel courageously refuses. When he was faced with pressure to accept sin as a necessary and unavoidable reality of his circumstance, he refused to compromise, even at great risk to himself. That is courage. And in this instance, Daniel's faithfulness, it didn't bring him harm, did it? But he didn't know that when he made his decision. Daniel knew very, very well that faithfulness could bring great difficulty, loss, or even death. But he also knew that God had called his people to be a holy people. 
And no amount of external pressure was going to change that. He risked his own well-being because his primary goal was not being accepted by his peers or the community around him. It wasn't material gain or advancing up the king's ranks. It wasn't even self-preservation and sparing his own life. His greatest priority was to be faithful before his God. He resolved not to defile himself. So even when the pressure was mounted against him, he didn't waver. He remained steadfast. Now, I know that we have not been kidnapped and forced into a foreign country, but we are exiles living in a culture that pressures us to sin. Any issue that you can think of, the world is telling Christians they need to lighten up. Why are you listening to a 2,000-year-old book? How can that speak to culture today? Just embrace modern thinking, the modern patterns and beliefs of society. And unfortunately, there's many churches who are caving to this cultural pressure. In an effort to prevent people from leaving the church to avoid being called hateful, many churches embrace the sin of homosexuality. They affirm it as something that is good, putting their stamp of approval on what God has called sin, defiling themselves to appease the culture, not reach the culture, appease the culture. There's an evangelical pastor, and he is uh, he's the lead pastor at one of the largest churches in the country. And in recent years, he's pushed the boundaries on a lot of things and caused a lot of faithful pastors to kind of just, like, cause him to hesitate a little bit. Uh, but, but this past week, he preached a sermon for his church, and he told them that they need to draw more circles and less lines. And he said that the reason for this is because Jesus drew really big circles. And his point was that we need to be more inclusive. We cannot tell people that are living a homosexual lifestyle that they are in sin. We need to be inclusive. We need to draw circles around them and include them in the church. Because according to this pastor, if we're not more inclusive... People are going to walk away from the faith. People who may be interested in Jesus will never come to hear about him. Now, there's a lot wrong with that. It's a horrible, horribly misleading summary of Jesus' ministry. Yes, he ate with sinners. He welcomed, welcomed everyone. But he was also the first person to confront their sin. And Jesus said that if we could not take up our cross and die to ourselves, if we could not count the cost and let go of our sin, we cannot be his disciple. So the picture that this pastor paints is just not consistent with the word of God. He paints a picture in which the church has no choice but to compromise. Embrace what the world says despite what God says or let people walk away from their faith. We must not confront sin but affirm, participate in it even because there's no other choice. Our hands are tied. He said that some people, for some people, it's just not sustainable to obey God's word entirely. That doesn't sound like what Daniel said. When Daniel's life was at risk and they told him he had to defile himself, he didn't say, well, sorry, God, you know, obedience just isn't sustainable. I can't do it for you. When his first request was rejected, he didn't say, sorry, God, I did my best, but... Don't got a choice here. I'm going to have to sin. Hopefully, you can deal with it. 
He didn't do that. He said, come what may, I will not defile myself with sin. I will not yield to the culture around me. I will not defile myself. He resolved to be faithful. And I recognize that this is a difficult task for us. It's not easy to be faithful and obedient in general, but it becomes even more so when you throw in the pressure we experience from from the culture, from family, from friends, and all these other forms of external pressure. And that's why faithfulness takes courage. If we want to resolve ourselves, as Daniel did, we need to have both integrity and courage. And faithfulness will not always be easy. But the best part of this is that we are not without help as we strive to remain undefiled by sin. Because the second thing that we see in this passage is that God helps his people remain faithful. That's number two if you're taking notes. God helps his people to remain faithful. It was God who placed Daniel in this situation in the first place, was it not? The wisdom that Daniel showed in asking for this 10-day trial, that wisdom came from the Lord. The favor he experienced with Ashpenaz and his officials, that came from the Lord. The incredible results they experienced in this 10-day training or 10-day test trial run, that came from the Lord. Daniel resolved not to sin, and God helped him to endure that temptation so that he could remain faithful and undefiled. Church, you will never find yourself in a situation where you are forced to sin. We are never without a choice. And the same help that God offered Daniel, he offers to us whenever temptation arises. I can say this as a 100% guarantee because God promised us exactly that in the New Testament. This isn't on the screen, but in 1 Corinthians 10, verse 13, it says, no temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. God will not allow temptation without also providing a way to endure and resist that temptation. So whatever temptation you're facing, whenever you face that, get on your knees and ask God for wisdom. Ask him for the strength to endure that temptation. And you can pray that prayer with total confidence, knowing that God will help us when we ask him. We live in a culture that opposes God, that constantly pressures us to assimilate into the way of the majority. But whatever consequences are threatened against us, we must never think that we have no choice but to yield to the will of the culture. Regardless of consequences, we must resolve ourselves to be faithful and to do and to teach all that God has asked of us. As we come to verse 17, Daniel and his friends have completed their education and now the time has come for them to be examined by the king. So turn back with me to verse 17 and we'll read the last portion of our text this afternoon. As for these four youths, God gave them learning and skill in all literature and wisdom. And Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. At the end of the time, when the king had commanded that they should be brought in, the chief of the eunuchs brought them in before Nebuchadnezzar. And the king spoke with them, 
And among all of them, none was found like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Therefore they stood before the king, and in every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king inquired of them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters that were in all his kingdom. And Daniel was there until the first year of King Cyrus. Daniel is never shy about the reason for his success. He always attributes his incredible wisdom to the Lord. Just as God gave Judah to Babylon, just as he gave Daniel favor before Ashpenaz, God also gave him wisdom and learning. That's why him and his friends succeeded. They were not greater in wisdom and learning than their peers because of any special quality they had in and of themselves. It was solely the gracious gift of God to them. He bestowed a measure of wisdom on them that their peers did not have. Their peers had all the wisdom of Babylon, everything that Babylon could offer. But God's wisdom is far greater than that of Babylon. And we see that Daniel also was given uh, the the ability to understand and interpret dreams and visions. And that'll come into play next week and, and in the coming weeks as well. But at the end of this three year education program, all of these young men, they're brought in before the king. And what he found was that none of them could hold a candle to these four Hebrew teenagers. They were in a class of their own, head and shoulders above their peers, but not only over their peers, because it says he found them to be 10 times better than all the magicians and enchanters in Babylon. The magicians and enchanters, those are not peers in the education program. Those are the experts. Those are the king's most trusted counselors and officials. They were supposedly experts in reading the movement of the stars to gain wisdom and insight. They performed different rites that they said would heal and cast out evil spirits. They claimed to conjure the spirit world for for greater insight so they could read the future and interpret dreams. But Daniel and his friend had far, far greater wisdom than these magicians and enchanters. And the reason was because their source of wisdom was much, much greater. Then in the final verse, uh, we see that Daniel was in the king's court until the first year of King Cyrus. Last week, I told you that there's kind of two views as far as who wrote the book of Daniel and when it was written. Those who, who say that Daniel was not a real person, that a lot of this book is just, it's just figurative, it's all just kind of made up stories and narratives, they point to historical errors in the book of Daniel as as one point of evidence for themselves. And this is one point where they say, hey, look, this is a a historical error. And they say that because we know from elsewhere in the book, Daniel served past the first year of King Cyrus. I think it's in chapter 10. It tells us that he was there until at least the third year of King Cyrus. But this is not an error. And to call this an error misses the point of this final verse. Because King Cyrus, he was not the king of Babylon. Cyrus was the first king of Persia. What Daniel's telling us here, he's not giving us the precise length of his ministry, but he's showing us that Daniel outlasted Babylon. The great Babylonian empire with all its power, all its wisdom, outlasted by a young Jewish boy who resolved himself to be faithful. And because of that resolve, God gave him incredible wisdom. He excelled in every way. And when Daniel excelled, 
It demonstrated the wisdom and the greatness of his God. That's the point being made here. Daniel's longevity here, it proves the power and sovereignty of God over incredible empires, even like Babylon. God helped Daniel in his efforts to remain faithful. And God also sovereignly used Daniel's faithfulness to glorify his name in the kingdom of Babylon. And that's our third point. It's also our big idea this afternoon. God is glorified through the faithfulness of his people. Daniel and his friends, they they functioned as representatives for God in the heart of the Babylonian empire. Their integrity, their, their courage to remain faithful, even at great risk to themselves, it sent a clear message to the people of Babylon. It let them know that they served the God of Israel. So when they excelled in such spectacular fashion, it showed everyone how spectacular their God truly was. When Daniel's wisdom was shown to be greater than the wisdom of the king's other counselors, it wasn't Daniel's wisdom and greatness on display. It was God's greatness over Babylon. Do you see why this is so important? That you and I resolve ourselves to be faithful? God uses his people to glorify himself. He uses his people to reveal who he is to the world around us. And if we are unwilling to resolve ourselves to faithfulness, to walking obediently before the Lord, we're going to make very poor representatives of him. God used Daniel to reveal his sovereignty to the most powerful men on the planet, rulers of of massive empires. And yes, Daniel did receive a kind of wisdom that, that, as far as I know, none of us have received unless you are holding out on us, in which case you got to share the wealth a little bit. But we, we didn't receive this, right? But that's not going to stop God from glorifying himself through our faithfulness. God gifted Daniel for a specific task, one that he had called Daniel to. But it started with Daniel's resolve to be faithful, his resolve to remain undefiled. Because if Daniel had given in, And if he said, you know what? I'm going to adopt the ways of Babylon. I'm going to give in to their sinful practices. Who would the king have attributed if Daniel then showed great success? Who who would have been honored and glorified then? Not the God of Israel. If Daniel adopted the ways of Babylon and still had his great success, the king would have taken credit. Look at how Babylon has molded this young Hebrew boy to be the wisest man in Babylon. Babylon. If Daniel had defiled himself, it would have been the gods of Babylon who were thought wise. But in God's sovereign wisdom and plan, he has chosen to glorify himself through the actions of his people. He has graciously called you and me to participate in the work of glorifying his name. Our desire as a church is to reach this community to see the name of God glorified in the city of Belleville, to see that happen through people coming to Jesus in faith and repentance. And if we hope to see that desire come to fruition, this is the starting point. We must start where Daniel started, by resolving ourselves to remain faithful to all that God has commanded, to all that God has asked us to teach. Whether there's no one around or we're facing significant pressure from someone around us. We must have the integrity and the courage to do all that God has asked of us. 
And if that sounds difficult, okay, join a club. That's great. It is difficult. But just as Daniel repeatedly found help and wisdom from God to remain faithful, we can confidently look to God for wisdom and help to remain faithful. So let us, as individuals and as a church, resolve ourselves to be faithful. Because when we do that, we put the love of God on display. We put the transformative power of the gospel on display. When we are faithful, we are participating in God's work to reveal himself to others because he uses our faithfulness to bring greater glory to himself. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the model that we have in Daniel. We thank you that he has shown us so clearly what it looks like to resolve yourself to faithfulness. And Lord, I pray for for each one of us in this room that we would have that resolve, that we would have the boldness and courage, the integrity we need to be faithful before you in the midst of a sinful culture. And Lord, I pray that you would be glorified through Redemption Bible Church. Pray that you'd be glorified through the faithfulness of every single one of our members. Lord, we thank you for inviting us to be a part of the work that you are doing here in this community and around the world. We love you and we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen.